Amen. That is our hope. Thank you, Benjamin. Thank you, worship team. Welcome to those of you that are visiting. I want to invite you all to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 16. If you have a Bible, if not, feel free to raise your hand. I didn't go up, grow up in a church where they read from the Bible, so I was like, wow, that was new to me. So feel free to keep this Bible. We want to encourage you to read the Bible, and that's why we teach verse by verse right through the Bible. I want to follow up from last week. If you weren't here, you're new, please understand um, this is just something for our church family, but we're in the middle of a, a project called Advancing the Gospel, where it's a, a ministry expansion, God's blessing. We have 200 kids usually, between 180, 200 kids downstairs. So we need more room. We talked about that, and God's been very good. People are giving. If you're here and you're not a Christian, please, God doesn't need your money. We're not here to try to get your money. But if you are a Christian and you're a part of this fellowship, we appreciate and want to keep you informed. So if you didn't see the video last week, go online to our website, vfchurch.net, and watch the four-minute video. But one thing that dawned on me last week is, and somebody else said that, is what's it going to look like? So I want to show you two pictures. We're just out of room. So the building's going to look like this. The ministry expansion is far more than a building, but this will be the front out there. So we're going to just blow that wall out and put a wing, and that'll give us some more room for seating. But that's not the main reason. The main reason is for downstairs. There's not enough room for kids. So the back will look like this. When you go around back here, you can see now this side will be blown out. And then back in that corner, way back here, that'll go out that way. And there will be a cafe and a lobby across the back because it's kind of hard getting in and out of the cattle chute here. So we're looking forward to having more room. There'll be a room over here that'll seat 100 people. That can be used for overflow, it can be used for weddings, the youth group will use it, lots of activities. And then the whole downstairs is just going to be expanded to have more classrooms and offices because we're just out of room. So we're thankful for the people that are, are a part of this church. We're also involved in a church plant we, or, or some ministry in Trenton as well as training pastors in Africa. So this Advancing the Gospel Ministry Expansion Project is part of that. Real quick, too, I wanted to mention, if you're not a Christian, again, God doesn't expect you to give to him. He wants to give to you the gift of eternal life. But if you are a Christian and God has forgiven your sins, he wants you to give to your local church. We're not trying to get your money, but it's part of your discipleship to Christ. We're making disciples, and the disciple learns how to give to the Lord. Jesus spoke a great deal about money, so I want to remind you of something from a sermon series, and you could go online and listen to these sermons from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 when we did our Advancing the Gospel project a year ago. But if you are a believer and this is your church and you never give, by the way, 50% of people that go to Bible preaching churches give nothing. Now, if you're not a Christian, I understand that. If I wasn't a Christian, why would I give? It's my money, right? It's not really, but that's what people think. But if you're a Christian and you have not learned to give yet, God wants you to do that, and that's an act of faith, okay? So some of you are encouraging to become first-time givers, but we want to see God work in your heart. We don't know who gives, but if you only give occasionally, think about what you're saying to God. If, it's, if he has given you your, your paycheck, your resources, and once in a while, if you have anything left over, you give it to God, what's that saying to God? The Bible says, honor the Lord with the first fruits of your increase, and so it's an act of faith to say, Jesus, everything I have comes from you. And I'm going to get into the habit of being intentional and consistent. I'm going to give every week. And I want to encourage you to do something. Keep a record of what you give. 
Not so you can boast about it, not so you can tell others about it, but so that you and the Lord have some sense of what you're doing with your finances. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. I think we deceive ourselves. You pull a couple books, oh yeah, I give to the Lord. Just, just keep a record. You don't have to tell anybody, but, but then at the end of the year, look at how much did I make versus how much did I give. And that's where the concept of tithing comes in. God doesn't command us to tithe. But frankly, the Bible has so many principles about tithing that I would encourage you to move toward that. Even if you start at giving 1%. Many of us can easily afford to give more than a tithe. But move in that direction. And then some of us are in a position to give very generously. And again, this is not... I'm not embarrassed. You're like, oh, the church is trying to get my money. I'm not embarrassed to say this because this is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus said. So we want that to be part of your heart and your discipleship. So pray for the church. We're not going to fleece you. We're not going to come after you and beg you. But we want to make sure everybody knows and we're on the same page. And last week we had what we called an overview. Okay, this morning now we're going to be looking at the last chapter of the book of Romans. And if, if you're there this morning, it's really interesting because it's a whole chapter of greetings. Okay. And at first blush, that's kind of like going into an antique store and looking at used postcards for sale. I'm like, really? Right? You ever see that? How many of you seen that? You're like, I'm going to buy somebody else's used postcard. And then to think about reading them, like somebody poked my eyes out. That sounds boring, right? So some people just skip over stuff like this. Like, why would I read a, a bunch of names? I can't even pronounce half of them. But remember, the Bible says the Word of God is inspired by God. And so God had a reason why there's a whole chapter full of greetings and names. And you'll find that the Lord often has something very special, treasures in there that we can get blessed by. So let's take a look at this. We'll pray. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray for those who are new that they will catch the vision and the joy of reading the Bible and being able to understand and interpret it and see that it is a message that is relevant for us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the things that, that people ask when they see a chapter like this is why? Why would God put a whole chapter of just people's names in here? Greet Urbanus, greet this guy, greet this lady. Well, I want you to think with me about a couple things. Number one, I think the first reason why God would have a chapter full of names is it's a reminder that Christianity is all about love. Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross because he loved us. And then he said, and I want you to love one another. And so Paul's giving us an example of true, genuine affection and concern for other people. And so we're reminded from this chapter, greet one another with love, care about people. Secondly, it shows a, a, a sense that a reminder of the oneness of Christianity because they weren't all, the church in Rome wasn't one big church. They met in houses back then. And commentators say the biggest house church probably had about 50 people in it. So there's a whole bunch of people that are hosting a house church, and yet this letter will be read by all the house churches, reminding them, same thing we need to be reminded of, as we sit here this morning, we're not the only church, but the body of Christ all over the world, God's building his church for his glory. I think a third thing is that it shows the value of individuals. Like, God cares about you individually. Sometimes, you know, we, we sort of see the Michael Jordans and the and, and the beautiful people and the, the, the powerful people, and we're like, oh, I'm just a nobody, right? But you're never a nobody to God. 
Every single person, the Bible says, he knit us in, his, in our mother's womb. He formed us. He planned out our days. And so you have value as a person. Just because you may not have any significant gifts that, that make you stand out. It's just a reminder, as Paul mentions people, that people are valuable and people matter. And then lastly, I think that all of these names can remind us to foster unity because you've got in this chapter Greeks, Romans, Jews, very wealthy people, slaves, men, and women. Paul mentions 26 people, nine of them being women, and it also gives us a little bit about what churches looked like back then and what people were doing. So let's get started, and we're going to look at the first thing that Paul does is he gives a commendation. So in verses 1 and 2, before he says, greet this person and greet this person, he says, I'm sending this woman Phoebe. Now, Phoebe's probably the woman that's going to bring the letter. Paul's in Corinth. He's writing to the church at Rome, and Phoebe's going to show up with this letter. So look what he says about Phoebe, and this shows the value that Paul saw in women in Christianity. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe. She is a servant of the church which is at Cantria. I want you to receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints. And I want you to help her in whatever matter she may have need of, for she herself has been a helper of many and of myself as well. The first thing that's interesting about this is that Paul calls her a servant. The Greek word here is diakonos, that could be translated either servant or deacon. And so some commentators suggest that this was an example in the early church of a female deaconess. And that's quite possible. But the most important thing to see here is that this woman made great sacrifices and was very important to Paul in the Lord's work. But I, wanna, I want you to think about something here. Paul says, I want you to help her. Now, what would that look like? Help her what? Some commentaries have said maybe she was in Rome because someone was bringing a lawsuit against her. But maybe she was coming to do some significant Christian ministry. And Paul says, when she gets there, you help her. But then he flip-flops it. He goes, because she has helped many. And, and it's, a, it's a really cool thing to think about, that the Christianity involves us helping people and then people helping us as we help people. That the reality is we're all serving Jesus by serving others. But as we help people, others can come alongside and help us. This morning, I was coming to church and right out around the corner from my house was a, 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 a woman who was trying to change a flat tire and I'm in this dilemma. I'm going... Um, Man, if I help her, I'm going to be way late for church. So I'm feeling like the good Samaritan when that guy's laying bloody and it says the Levites just walked by. But I'm thinking, ah, she's not in distress. So I call my next door neighbor. He's not a, not a Christian. But I say, hey, can you do me a favor? I said, you know I'd help this lady. I said, but I'd be late for church. I said, could you just take a peek out front, see if you could help her change her flat tire? He says, sure, I'll be glad to do it. And some of you are going, well, I'm, that's more my gift. I, I like to help, you know, tell people to help people. But, but the reality is, you know, many people are really serving God here, helping people, giving them rides, taking care of them. Somebody asked this morning, can you visit this person in the hospital? But as you become aware of people who are serving the Lord and helping people, help them. 
For example, when we talked about Tori this morning, many of you know that Jana, one of our own, is waiting desperately to get to Poland so she can minister the gospel there. The only reason she hasn't left yet is she hasn't received full, full support. The church is supporting her. A number of us are supporting her. But maybe that's an example of somebody that God may put on your heart and say, hey, what would it take, Yana, for us to help you to get on your way to be a blessing? All right, now let's look at these greetings. Paul says, greet Chris, Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Now, we know these in the book of Acts as Aquila and Priscilla. Kind of an interesting couple. She's always named first. We, we know that he was a tent maker by trade, and that's what Paul did. And that's how they first became friends. For five years, all the Jews were kicked out of Rome. And Aquila and Priscilla, he was a tent maker, so he, he moves to Corinth. Sets up his tent making business. Aquila's custom tents. Better than Cabela's, right? <laughs> Paul comes to Corinth and they meet up. We don't know whether Paul led him to the Lord, but Paul lived with them. And, and, and Aquila and Priscilla became a couple who were very valuable in ministry. They knew the word of God. In the book of Acts, it says, they heard Apollos preach, and they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. As you read the Bible, you find that when they were in Corinth, they had a church in their house. When they were in Rome, they had a church in their house. Looks like when they were in Ephesus, they had a church in their house. So, isn't that interesting? Here's a couple. They weren't, quote, pastor or in ministry. Just good old, ordinary Christian people who had a business, but everywhere they went, Churches sprang up in their home because they opened their doors and were sharing the gospel with people. So Paul says, I want you to greet these fellow workers who for my life risked their own necks. Not only do I give thanks, but all the churches. Greet the church in their house. Now, what does that mean, they risked their neck? I think it was literal. I think that they could have died in some mission to save Paul's life. Commentators suspect that this may have been in Ephesus. If you remember in, in the book of Acts, in Ephesus in chapter 19, a riot broke out, and they desperately wanted to kill Paul. And Paul's friends interceded for him. And it's been suggested that these people, at the risk of their own lives, realizing that, hey, if I identify with Paul, I might be killed, went to bat for him, maybe because of the connections that they had. But they were willing to die to save his life. And he said, these are... These are good people. And that's what it means to, to really be a Christian, is to say, you know what? Jesus said, no greater love has anyone than this, than you would lay down your life for one another. Who would do that? Well, only somebody who normally realizes that Jesus did that for me. That should be the motivation. Verse 6, greet Mary who has worked hard for you. And by the way, he says that again in verse 12 about Persis. He said, he's worked hard in the Lord. I'm not sure where this got lost, but last couple generations, I think Christian couples understood what it meant to work hard for the Lord. People just, just good, salt of the earth, godly parents who were plugged in and active and engaged in their church. And somehow... The next generation of young people are like, you know, I grew up and every time the church doors were open, my parents were dragging me to church. And now I'm sick of that. I'm not doing that. Right? And I think we took the pendulum. Yeah, maybe, maybe that was extreme. But I think we took the, the pendulum to the other extreme. 
It's all about us. The church is just there for me. I'm a consumer, and let me see what I get out of it, and is there enough dog and ponies and treats for my children? It's not what a church is for. And so I want, I want, I want you to think about this. The Bible says these people worked hard for the Lord. Can you think of a time in your life where you've worked hard for the Lord? Well, let me start with this. A time in your life when you've worked hard? You're like, whoa, when I think about that, I just lie down until that thought. No, but seriously, we have people in this church, they work hard for the Lord. Remember once a young man I was mentoring, he was a worship leader in a church in Texas. He goes, I don't understand why the worship team won't get here at 7 o'clock in the morning like I do. I can get here at 7 o'clock. And we're like, dude, you get paid to do this, right? But many people, just out of love for Jesus, and I want to thank you for this, for your hard work in the Lord. And some of you need to be challenged in that. If you're not doing anything for Jesus, why not? Oh, I'm too busy. Well, if you're too busy to do anything for Jesus, you're too busy. You need to change your priorities. In the book of Revelation, Jesus spoke to one of the churches. He said, you're half dead. Your deeds aren't complete. And so thank you for those of you who are working hard in the Lord. And if you're going, I'm willing, hey, just let us know. You know, something as simple as saying, hey, can you come early and help set up chairs or break down chairs? It's not like we're asking you to teach Sunday school for everybody. But, but, but think about that. Am I, am I working hard for the Lord? All right, let's keep reading. He says, verse 7, Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen, which probably means Jews, and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles who were in Christ before me. Now, I don't think, maybe, but I don't think there's anybody here. Anybody ever been in prison because of being a Christian? Nobody here? But isn't it interesting to think that right now there are thousands, thousands and thousands of people that are in prison right now for being a Christian, being beaten, tortured, killed. If you're not familiar with the ministry called Voice of the Martyrs, check it out. Last year, my wife and I went to a conference in Lancaster. It was, it was incredible. They're going to have a, 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 a conference at um, Calvary Chapel this summer. You could, you could attend that. But it really reminds us, the Bible says, remember those in prison as though you're in prison with them. Pray for the persecuted church. We are in an in a unusual setting in America. It's very unusual for Christianity to be accepted. And I think the looming clouds, we see that that's not always going to be this way. So be in prayer for those who are in prison or being persecuted for Christ. Paul says in verse 8, Greet Ampilius, my beloved in the Lord, and Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stachus, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. You're going, the approved in Christ? Does that mean some people, Jesus goes, I don't approve of you. It's a really interesting word. This word means to be tested and then to have passed the test. Now, what was it about this guy, Pellas, that Paul goes, this guy's approved in Christ? Well, when you think about this, if you're a Christian, often when you first become a Christian, everything goes well at first. You know, the Lord's answering your prayers. You're so excited. And then all of a sudden, trouble comes. And Jesus said this would happen. He said, sometimes people receive the word with joy, but as soon as trouble comes, they fall away because they had no roots. And so one of the things that we're reminded of here is that Christianity involves tests in which either we're approved or not approved. So we shouldn't be surprised that we're going to have trouble. This morning, probably all of us have some trial or test in our life. 
These aren't accidents. These aren't because God fell asleep. These are carefully crafted individual tests that God is allowing us to see how are you doing with your trouble in your marriage? How are you handling this financial? How are you handling this addiction? How are you handling this personal struggle? And as we go through these tests, the Bible says that they're producing character and perseverance. God's not up there going, oh, I just love to put troubles in your life. So as you think about it, think about whatever your trial is recently. If the Lord were to grade you, would he say, hey, by my grace, I approve of the way you're responding in faith. Or are you angry, complaining, giving in to your sin because it doesn't work? It's not my fault. It's my spouse. It's the jerks I work with. And so it's a good way to be reminded that, that James chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the person who perseveres in their trials. For once they have been approved, they will receive the crown of life. So whatever trials you're going through, see them as God's test. Can you still thank God even in your tears? Will you still worship him? Will you still trust him? And so, as we consider that, if you're discipling people, hey, that's part of what we do. We come alongside people and say, listen, I get it. I'm not going to give you a quick, oh, just, you know, God's, God's going to get, you know, we come alongside, we weep with those who weep, but we know that God is using these tests to grow us in the Lord. Let's keep reading. Paul says, verse 10, greet Apelles, those who are the household of Estabulus. Verse 11, greet Herodian, my kinsmen, those of the household of Narcissus in the Lord. Tryphena, Trephosa, workers in the Lord. Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Verse 13, greet Rufus, a choice man in the Lord, his mother and mine. And I think what Paul means by that is, and some of you can think about this, older folks, we need you. And some of you, even though it may not be literal, you can become sort of a foster parent to younger couples, younger people. Titus chapter 2 says, older women, you can train young people to love their husbands. Train wives to love their husbands. Some of you young girls are going, why would I need training? I love my man. You wait. <laughs> you wait. Training children, raising the frustrations of life. Older people are very valuable, and it's cool to be, have people like, they're like a mom to me, or they're like a dad to me. And those of you that don't have the energy that you used to have, you feel like, oh, what can I do? Hey, you can, you can be a blessing like this woman was to Paul. But verse 14, greet Asyncris, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren with him, Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with him. And then he says in verse 16, I like this, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, I don't think necessarily... Paul's advocating that we need to actually kiss each other. That's a cultural thing, okay? But in that culture, to not greet someone with a kiss was an insult, okay? And again, why all these greetings? Because it's to remind us, as Christians, the Bible says, keep fervent in your love for one another. So when you see other Christians, to me, based on passages like this, it's a little bit rude to be like, hey, what's up? You see him in the store, hey, how you doing? I'm busy, I gotta get my shopping done. 
Like when we see another Christian, it's like a sibling. Hey, brother, how are you? Now, some of you are like, well, it's not my personality. No one's friendly. Proverbs says if you want to have friends, show yourself friendly. So stretch yourself a little bit. Try to learn some people's names. And then be glad to see them. George Van Lue was sharing. He just went to a, a funeral of a dear friend of his. And he says, you know, I got up and I said, this guy was my best friend. He said, and then it dawned on me. Just about every man in there thought he was his best friend because of the way that this man genuinely greeted and loved and cared about people. So as you come to church, if you forget someone's name, stop doing that lame thing that I'm trying not to do anymore, like <clears throat> did this once with my wife, ran into an old neighbor that I hadn't seen for like 20 years from when I was a kid. I said, oh, hey, nice to see you. Couldn't remember her name. This is my wife. I'll let you two introduce yourselves. My wife's like, that was so lame. She knew you forgot her name. <laughs> so now I just try to say, you know what? I'm embarrassed. I should remember your name. Forgive me. So if you say, oh, I, I don't want to say hi to that person because I forget their name. Hey, work on that. And especially if we have greeting cards. Like we see you going like this. Hey, Tom, that's okay, <laughs> right? But, but be glad to see one another. All right, now we're going to look at a warning. It's interesting at the end of the book, Paul puts this warning in here. And one of the things you have to be reminded, you and I need to remind ourselves, is, is Satan is always looming around. Wherever Christ is working, Satan's always looming around. The Bible calls him a roaring lion. He's, he's prowling about, seeking to devour. He wants, he wants to discourage Christians. He's lost your soul if you're a Christian, but he wants to drag you down so that you're in sin, so that you're giving up. He wants to drag people away from the Lord. He wants to mess up churches. And he could do this in many ways. And in some countries, he uses persecution from without. But the Bible also teaches that Satan uses poison from within. Now, this is dangerous, but it's what we need to be reminded of. Is Satan can use other people in churches to, to draw Christians away. And there's a number of ways he does that. In the book of Acts... Paul says to the elders, be on guard because savage wolves will rise up teaching false teaching and lead people astray. Peter warned against unprincipled professing Christians who will try to get you to sin. You know, not everybody comes to church to worship. Some people come because they're looking for girls. Some people come because they want to advance their business. People come for many reasons. Not everyone who stands in a pulpit does so for the glory of Jesus. You have to do is turn on the TV and say, hey, some of these guys, it sure sounds like they're just trying to get my money. You're like, well, you talked about money. Hey, that's wrong talking about money, but you'll get to know someone by their fruit. And so Peter even warned, and, and listen, you young people, as you're in school, when your parents are talking to you about your friends, this is true. The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. If you hang around wise people, you'll be wise. But if you're a companion of fools, you'll suffer shame. And that goes for us as adults. The people you socialize with, your, your friends that you get together with, if they're not believers and you're not intentionally in a redemptive relationship, they can lead you astray. I've known of Christians who, even, even in a Bible study I taught, I watched a young lady come in and a guy from that study draw her away and, and move in together and fall into sin. It's painful. But these type of things happen. And so Paul warns the church, be on guard against people who are problem people. Look at verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, 
Keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. These are the type of people that are always stirring up strife and trouble and arguments and division. And you're like, well, why would anybody even have anything to do with them? Well, back then, people would travel around and they would come and say, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian teacher. And, and, and they would welcome them into their homes and, and, and feed them and, and provide for them. And so Paul says, be careful. He says, these type of people are slaves, not of the Lord Jesus, but of their own appetites. By their f- smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. The book of Jude talks about these people. They creep into the church. And if you're here for the wrong reasons, God sees that. And I, I don't want you to stop coming. I want you to repent and come to Jesus. Not everyone who comes to church at first comes for the right reason. Some of you are here because somebody dragged you here. Your friends, you know, drew you here. But this whole idea of dissensions and, and divisions, that's, that's how Satan works. In fact, the Bible says there are seven things that God hates. One of them is he that sows discord among the brethren. So be careful to be a peacemaker and a unity builder. If you know of somebody who's always causing strife and and introducing false teaching, things like that, pay attention to them, note them, point them out to the elders so we can pray and, and pray for God to protect and keep our church in unity. I don't have any agenda here like you, 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 and you. I'm just preaching right from the word of God. All right, let's, let's, let's continue in this passage because it's really interesting because that's a bummer, right? You're like, man, this is great. Bless this person. Praise the Lord for this person. And then why do we got to talk about I'll tell you why we got to talk about it. Because every one of us, you're raising your kids. If your kid goes away to school and all of a sudden some Christian teacher who goes rogue starts teaching them sinful or false teaching and they abandon the faith, you'll, you'll go, I hate Satan. I hate how Satan works. Many of you have loved ones who have fallen away from the Lord, and you realize that, man, Satan is always trying to mess people up. And so Christians are encouraged to resist him. So Paul says in verse 19, for the report of your obedience, you Christians in Rome, it's reached to all, and I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise in what is good and innocent in what is evil. As long as we're on this earth till Jesus comes back, Satan's going to be messing people up. But it doesn't have to be you or me because the Bible says if we watch and pray, God is able to keep us from the evil one. If we submit to God and we resist the devil, he will flee from us. So we don't want to... Be careful of this. If you watch these guys on TV, I'll punch the devil in the mouth or the devil's a jerk. Don't talk like that. The book of Jude says not even the archangel Michael brought an accusation against Satan, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. So we come against Satan in the name of Jesus. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. And Lord, keep me from the evil one. But one of the things that's encouraging is like, will he ever stop? Yeah, he's going to stop. But not because he volunteers to stop, but because God's going to stop him decisively, once and for all. I was once in a Bible study where someone prayed for the devil. I said, why did you do that? He was a brand new Christian. He said, well, I figured that Jesus loves bad people. He wants to save them. The devil's the worst person. Maybe God's going to save the devil. And I said, no, you know, it was an honest mistake. God's not going to save the devil because the devil's never going to repent. God's going to crush the devil. But Paul does something kind of cool here. 
when God first told the devil, you're done, in Genesis chapter 3, remember what he said? He said to the devil, from the seed of a woman is going to come one, and you're going to bruise his heel. He's going to die on the cross. But you know what? He's going to crush your head. And Jesus, our Lord, is going to crush Satan. But Paul invites us to have a part in it. Because in Genesis, it says, Jesus is going to crush him. But look what Paul says in verse 20, as God continues to add to that. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So instead of us saying, devil, no, let Jesus bring us along when he returns. And we'll all rejoice when once for all, he's shut up and put into the lake of fire. But until that time, we need to be sober and careful and prayerful because he's very powerful and we don't want to allow him to have any influence. All right, Paul's going to mention a couple of his friends. Timothy, greet you, Jason, Sosipater, and Tertius, who writes this letter. So Paul was dictated. Tertius is like, my hand's sore. Paul, you are so verbose. Paul's like, chill here. I'm being led by the Spirit, brother. So Gaius greets me, and the whole church greets you, the treasurer and Cordus the brother. But I want to close this morning with this final benediction. Remember back when we first started the book of Romans, we said it's all about the gospel. Paul said in the first verse, I'm Paul the apostle, set apart for the gospel, the good news that Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He says, I serve God in the gospel. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And then he just goes off under the Spirit, and we read this whole beautiful book of how we can be saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, of how we're being sanctified because we're in Christ now, of how we're set apart, and, and one day Christ is going to come back, and God's brought Jews and Gentiles together. And now at the end of the book, he says, now, I just gave you the gospel. And then he says this, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. I can't emphasize this enough, that the Christian faith is all about the gospel and about Jesus. We never get past that. We don't move on from that. We just keep going deeper in the gospel. And as we go deeper in the gospel, our roots grow deeper in the Lord. That word establish it can mean to confirm or to plant, but it also can mean to strengthen. Now, I, I want to ask you a question here. I don't even know how many times I've encouraged our people to, to get one of our little books that we sell called The Gospel Primer. Uh, it's just a small paperback, but it, but it gives you the idea of how to continually be going deeper in the gospel. Let me ask you this. I asked the people at the first service. How many of you have read it? Raise your hand if you've read The Gospel Primer. Okay, maybe about 15, probably about 15 in the first service. Yeah, I wasn't kidding. I mean, I, I really meant that. And I still, and I'm not saying it in a bad way. I'm telling you, I want you to get this book, The Gospel Primer, and read it. And those of you, somebody even came to me this morning. She says, I'm blind, but I found out it's online. I listened to it. So for those of you, oh, I don't like to read. Listen to it. But this will give you an idea of how we constantly rehearse the gospel. I'll put this out there. If you don't like it, I'll give you your money back. We don't make any money. It probably costs about $7. It's a little paperback. The Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent. So Paul says, look, 
And this, if you led someone to Christ or your child's a Christian, you want them to be established in the gospel. You want their roots to be deep. You want to know and pray that God, they're going to stay with Jesus all of their life, no matter what happens. How's that going to happen? By the gospel. So Paul says, I just unloaded the gospel of, and God will strengthen you. So for those of you who are like, gosh, I probably need to learn this gospel. Go back and go online and listen to the messages and go through the book of Romans and get strengthened in the gospel. Paul says it's, it's the revelation of the mystery. Now this was especially the part about Jews and Gentiles becoming one new body in Christ. He says that was kept secret, but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations. This is what's so glorious about the gospel, is Jesus said, go into all the world now. As you watch Tory, God may tug at some of your hearts. All of us should be more than willing to say, Lord, I'll go anywhere to take the gospel. But what does the gospel lead to? It leads to the obedience of faith, which the first thing I always call for you to do is, the first step of getting in a right relationship with God is not what you do for him, it's, it's recognizing what he did for you. God is calling you to himself. Jesus, through me right now, is calling you to himself. And this is what he's saying. You're a sinner. And I would have to put you in hell because of your sin. Unless you are forgiven my way. And my way is not by your good works. My way is through Jesus. Because I loved you so much that I gave my only son. And I let him die so that he shed his blood so you could be forgiven. And I raised him from the dead. But if you want to have a relationship with him, you have to come by faith. You have to repent, which means to be willing to follow him. You have to change. Just be willing to let him change you. And he says, believe. Trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you can't remember ever doing that, if, if you're sitting there thinking, if I were to die tonight, I don't know if I'd go to heaven then right now, right there, you can come to Christ and say, Lord, I believe the gospel. I believe you died to pay for my sin, and I want to receive you as my Lord and Savior. Keep praying, folks. God is saving people. Week after week, more and more people are responding to the gospel. And that obedience of faith when they make that decision is to lead to a life of obedience. There's no such thing as saying, yeah, I raised my hand, and then I just keep living like the devil. If you have made that decision, God wants you to get baptized. And he wants you to, to grow and to learn to follow him as a response to his wonderful grace. But look at the last phrase in this, this benediction on the last slide. Why is God doing all this stuff? Because he's the only wise God through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever. The reason he's doing all this stuff is one reason for his own glory. God created this world. He allowed sin to enter the world. He sent Jesus to die to save sinners. He's going to destroy Satan. He's called you to himself for one reason. For his glory. For his praise. For his delight. And as Christians, we're learning to live for his glory. To give him praise and glory. He deserves it all. Anything he's doing good through me or anybody else here. To God be the glory through Jesus Christ. I've been reading a little book called The Valley of Vision. Some of you have heard about it. It's prayers that were written by Puritans. But one of the, the prayers is called God the All. And in this prayer, he says, Lord, 
There's no comfort or enjoyment in anything except what you make it to be. He says, Lord, there's nothing I can do to glorify your name. Nothing I can do. But he said, there's one thing I can do. Through your grace, I can cheerfully surrender my soul and body to you. If you're a believer, that's what God wants to do. Just cheerfully surrender to him because of his grace. And then he says, Lord, I know you're the author. You began my faith. You're the finisher of my faith. That my whole salvation is yours alone. But then he wants God to use him for his glory. He says, Lord, I know that every good work that's found in me is only the effect of your grace. He says, Lord, the only sole motive why you're at work in my life, because the Bible says God is at work in us. Why? To will and work for his good pleasure. That's the only reason we're still here on this earth. It's for for God's good pleasure. Lord, thank you for saving me. Here I am. I present myself to you. He says, Lord, it's amazing that people talk so much about man's creaturely power. Oh, look how smart he is. He invented this. Look how athletic or beautiful. It's amazing that they speak of men's goodness. People aren't good. To God be the glory. And then I love how he closes. He says, Lord, if you held back for one moment, we would all be devils incarnate. You believe that? You believe that were it not for the grace of God, for the glory of God, that we would be a devil in a moment. And then he says this, Lord, by bitter experience, you've taught me this about myself. Isn't it a blessing to be saved by the grace of God? Isn't the gospel something worth living for? Isn't Jesus glorious and sweet and wonderful no matter what goes on in our lives? As we close this study of the book of Romans, I hope I'll never hear you say this. I was telling somebody many, many years ago, oh, I'm going to preach through the book of Romans. She said, oh, I already studied that 10 years ago. When your favorite song comes on the radio, do you go, turn it off? I already know this song. I hope that you'll fall in love with the book of Romans. I had a student come to me recently. He goes, Mr. Allen, I'm on chapter 15. I'm memorizing the book of Romans. There's another girl in our church. She's memorizing the book of Romans. I hope that the book of Romans will become dear to you, not not for any other reason, but that you'll find the sweetness of the gospel and that you'll fall in love with Jesus and that for all your life, you will be grounded in the gospel, making disciples for the glory of God. Will you pray with me? Thank you, Lord, for the glorious gospel of Jesus. There are probably some people here that are still on the outside. They have not yet responded. Right now, if God's speaking to your heart, you can respond to his gospel. Just say, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I'm willing to follow you. I believe that you died to forgive me. Come into my life and teach me what it means to be saved by your grace. For the rest of our family, Lord, may we be hard workers for the Lord. May we have unity. May we be kept from Satan. Don't let Satan divide our church or bring any of us down. Keep us from the evil one. May our children grow in the Lord. May our older folks become parents and mentors and blessings to our young people. May we get to know each other and love each other and serve the Lord together. And through our tears and sorrows, Lord, we look forward to that day when you will crush Satan under our feet. To you alone be all the glory, Father. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful Memorial Day.